Go ahead and turn to uh, Psalm chapter 1 this morning. If you don't own a Bible, there should be a red one around you that looks like this. You can use that this morning. Is Your text, uh, it's going to be found on 472 in that Bible. So hear these words from the psalmist. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway with sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff, that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. Our second text is just one verse, Lamentations 340. I'll just say it for us. Uh, It's uh, Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah says, um, let us search out and examine our ways that we may return to the Lord. Let us return to the Lord. This is the reading of the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we pray just for your enlightenment that you would open up our eyes and our hearts as we uh, see again and have our imagination stirred for what it looks like to live a flourishing life and we examine our own lives and we look at the gaps between how you've designed us to live and how we are living. God, would you give insight? Would you give wisdom? Would you bring conviction? Would you bring a sense of uh, resolve um, by your grace to, uh, to live into the calling that you've placed on us as your disciples. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, I want to start this first Sunday of 2022 with you guys um, using our teaching time to briefly walk through a simple, but I, I found to be a powerful reflection exercise that has been used for hundreds of years by apprentices of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, to help them become more aware of God's loving presence in their lives so that they might experience deeper transformation. So what I wanna do is teach for just a few minutes uh, from Psalm 1 and and Lamentations 3, and then I wanna spend a good chunk of our time together uh, working through this tool together. So if you have a pen, uh, there's a handout that should have been given to you. If you don't have that handout, when it comes time for that uh, that piece of our teaching time, we'll pass out some more. Uh, But I wanna encourage you to go ahead and grab that and keep that handy uh, because you'll need that later on in our time together. So what I want to do is just lead us through some guided reflection together. And as we begin to kind of reflect on our lives, um, which I know for some of us sounds terrifying to actually slow down and stop and to think about all that we've lived this last year or two. Um, But as we do that, it's important to begin by anchoring ourselves in a vision for what it means to flourish as human beings. And And to have that vision um, guided by and shaped by what God says is good and true and beautiful, right? We have these competing visions for what it means to flourish as human beings. We have, uh, our, our culture has a vision for us. Our institutions, our entertainment uh, industry, social media influencers, they have a vision for the good life, right? Like uh, television, uh, you know, our phones have a vision for the good life. Silicon Valley has a vision of, uh, for our lives. Our institutions, our jobs have a vision for our life. Our families oftentimes have a vision for what it means for us to flourish. 
But it's important that we stop and come back to God's vision for our flourishing. Otherwise, it's easy to get bogged down. Like this time, you know, it's all about New Year's resolutions, and I'm not a big New Year's resolutions guy because like 80% of them are broken by the time we get to February anyways. But it's easy to get bogged down and to get busy giving our time and our energy, even well-intended, to the wrong pursuits and end up becoming someone other than who God has designed us to be, to engage in what William Irvine, a philosopher, calls misliving, the danger of misliving. And so I want to talk about this vision and just remind us, this is, this is the vision that we have in Psalm chapter 1, is a vision for a flourishing life with God. It's one psalm that you've probably heard before, you've read before. If you follow along in our church's rule of life uh, that we do as a community with scripture reading plan, you would have read this yesterday from the Book of Common Prayer. Um, psalm 1 is probably one of the most well-known and well-loved psalms in the entire Bible, and, the, and certainly in the Psalter. And what hap- what's happening here is the psalmist is invoking this metaphor of a tree. And, and what the psalmist is doing is, is using this metaphor, how happy is the one, and he goes on to say in verse 3, is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in season, whose leaf doesn't wither, whatever he does prospers. This is a metaphor, and it's intended to get at our imagination, right? To use imagery that would have been familiar to the readers at this time in ancient Palestine to stir up an imagination for a vision of what it means to be fully human. Happy is the one. That word happiness there in the Hebrew is a rich word. It can mean flourishing. It can mean fortunate or favored or blessed or whole. This Hebrew word is mentioned 26 times in the Psalms, and it's this concept of happiness or flourishing or blessedness that Jesus, who undoubtedly would have known this scripture by heart growing up here in the temple and probably recited in his family, uh, that Jesus would draw on thousands of years later in his own Sermon on the Mount, his very first teaching, he starts out gathering them like Moses around the mountain to give them God's Torah, his instruction for what it means to live in the kingdom of God. And what's the first thing that Jesus says? Blessed are you. How happy are you if you're poor in spirit? How happy are you if you're merciful? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. It's the same word, that word for flourishing. And so the Bible wants to draw our attention to this idea of a flourishing life with God. Now, I want you to imagine for a second, what does it look like to live a flourishing life? Imagine for a second that you're in ancient Palestine and you're walking and traveling in the desert. I know we live in Indiana, and we don't know what deserts look like, but if you've recently, if you watch any of the, like, Star Wars TV series, my kids and I just started Boba Fett, um, kind of kicked off this week, think, like, Tatooine Desert, right? That's what's kind of, like, happening here. I mean, just hot, harsh conditions, your, your tongue is sticking to the roof of your mouth. I mean, that kind of insanely hostile conditions to human flourishing, and, and all of a sudden, you're walking, uh, which seems just step after step, mile after mile in this intense heat, and you look ahead and you see what appears to be a mirage in front of you, a beautiful, life-giving green tree whose roots are plunged deep underground into some sort of dependable life source that allows it to bear abundant fruit. What you'd likely be seeing is this tree right here. This is an acacia tree, one of the most resilient trees in ancient Palestine. It provided food and fuel and shade and even had medicinal healing powers for various illnesses. Acacias could actually lie, now that may not look like much, but if you're in the desert, I mean, that's a sight for sore eyes, right? Like they could lie dormant and actually look 
dead. They weren't always bearing fruit, the same kind of fruit in different seasons. But when the rains would come and they would flood the surrounding areas, they would spring to life and they would bear fruit with buds that appeared like little white flowers. Many people believe that the Ark of the Covenant was actually it was made from uh, the acacia tree. Now, this tree is, is, again, a metaphor. It's intended to stir our imagination. And the metaphor basically is speaking to a life that's deeply rooted in a relationship with God and communion with God, that's abiding in the love of God and delighting in and meditating on his instruction. You see that in verse 2 on his Torah, his instruction, his ways, his laws, his commands, bearing the fruit of love internally in our souls and externally in our relationships, kind of love that was able to prosper despite the harshness of life and the changing realities of waves of COVID-19 or a, a, a whatever this is, V-shaped, K-shaped economy. I don't know what shape, what letter this is. Not a great one all the time, right, for many of us. Uh, despite family drama around the holidays, despite uh, the election cycles, hello, 22 midterms, uh, like despite all of those changing, difficult realities, there's an inner abundance that's present in this kind of life, an abundance that leads to stability, right, to substance, to a prosperity of soul and heart that can't be threatened or taken away by external circumstances. This is the kind of person I think we all long for. Like if I ask you to close your eyes and look to the future one year from now, five years from now, one day you're holding possibly your grandchildren in your arms and, 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 you're, and you're looking back over your life and you're telling them like what really mattered and how, how you were able to survive like these difficult years in which we're living. Like this is the person I think we long to become as a result of our discipleship to Jesus. We want to be peaceful, more peaceful more consistent, more of a non-anxious presence, more compassionate, wiser, more consistent and stable, more joyful and hopeful, more able to give and to receive love to our family, to our neighbors, and even maybe to our enemies and those who oppose us. Now, although these are the kind of people that I think we all aspire to become, I want you to also notice in this psalm how easy it is for us to drift away from this vision of life in practice if we don't pay careful attention to our lives. The psalmist warns us that if you just kind of pick up your feet and you go with the flow of life in a broken and evil and sinful world, it's easy to enter into this kind of slow and almost imperceptible regression, right? Like notice the the regression in, in verse one, how happy is the one who doesn't walk in the advice of the wicked, stand in the pathway of sinners, and sit in the company of the wicked, right? There's a progression here from walking, which is kind of a Hebrew uh, Semitic way of just saying like a way of life that's kind of oriented around something. Walking then leads to standing still, and eventually we find ourselves sitting and normalizing ways of being, habits and scripts and ways of life that actually are the opposite of flourishing. The psalmist wants us to see that the gravitational pull of life is one that doesn't move towards God. It's actually one that moves away from God's love, right? It moves us away from God's mercy, from his kindness, from his ways, from his justice. He describes this like chaff, right? Chaff is just essentially the shell or the husk of a seed that's left after it's winnowed. And the imagery here speaks to a life that's just blown around and tossed about, right? Like a life that's unstable, a life that is inconsistent, reactive, anxious, 
fearful, isolated, foolish, cynical, right? And he says at the end here in verse six, ultimately this way of life that is so easy to just fall into because of the currents of the world, it ultimately leads us to a place of ruin and judgment. Every summer, um, my kids and I and my wife will go down to uh, Florida, to Destin, and we'll go to the beach. And oftentimes, around that time, for whatever reason, there's lots of storms that blow up. And, um, and so uh, when we get out into the water, I always have to teach my kids about undertow, right? Like on the surface of the water, it looks really calm and beautiful, but especially around times where there's just been a storm, there's a storm kind of blowing in, the, the undertow underneath the water will pull you out to sea. Actually, when I was a kid, I was about six or seven years old, I almost drowned uh, in the ocean because of the strong undertow at Myrtle Beach. And so I'm really vigilant about kind of talking to my kids and we'll kind of be calling them back. And it's amazing how fast you drift. And what I tell my kids is, Every couple of minutes, about every five to 10 minutes, you guys need to look back to the shoreline and find an anchor point because it's just so quickly you can drift and all of a sudden you find yourself down the beach and getting swept out into the ocean. And that's, that's kind of the same thing with our spiritual lives. It's so easy for us to drift away, not pay attention, especially in a time like this in COVID when there's so much pain, there's so much disruption, there's so much disorientation that's happening on a regular basis. It's easy for us just to kind of get lifted up and to move with the flow, and all of a sudden we find ourselves living lives that we didn't intend to, but nonetheless, we become unfruitful and unproductive. The number one article in the New York Times, you know, they always do those at the end of the year. They send out emails, and they'll tell you what the top stories of the year was. Last week, uh, the number one New York Times article this year, most viewed, was an article on uh, languishing. I have a slide here to show you what it looks like. It's called, There's a Name for the Blah You're Feeling. It's called Languishing. And uh, it, was, it was an article essentially about kind of <clears throat> this uh, juxtaposition of wanting to experience flourishing, but actually not experiencing the flourishing that we long for. And they called it languishing. It says, languishing is a sense of stagnation and emptiness. It feels as if you're muddling through your days, looking at your life through a foggy windshield, and it might be the dominant emotion of 2021. I don't know if anybody can relate to that. I certainly felt that way, especially heading into the last couple months of the year, just so much exhaustion and burnout and fatigue and just feeling just blah, empty, lonely, sad, all these weird emotions, feeling kind of burned out. How do we resist this subtle but powerful pull away from flourishing and towards languishing? That takes us to, just quickly, our second text, Lamentations 3.40. We must slow down and pay attention and examine our lives in the presence of God. We must learn to reflect on our ways. Jeremiah, Lamentations 2, God's people who had gone into exile because of their lack of attentiveness to what was happening in their lives. They They fell into judgment and eventually went into exile. And this is the imitation of God to those people in that time, let us search out and examine our ways and turn back to the Lord. We must learn to engage in regular self-reflection and self-examination of our lives. We must learn to reflect on, when I say reflect on our lives, I mean our habits, our values, our priorities, the decisions that we make, our behaviors and actions, our feelings, our longings and desires, the stories that we're telling ourselves about what it means to be human, and more than telling ourselves, the stories that we're actually embodying and living in the world. He says, if you want to return to God, you must reflect. You must learn to examine 
your ways. Reflection and return and restoration and reconciliation go hand in hand. If we don't intentionally slow down and pay attention, we can become unintentionally unfruitful and begin to hurt ourselves and to hurt those around us, even if our intentions are well-meaning. Now, it's important to remember when we do this kind of reflection and examination, which is what I want to invite us to do here in just a moment, we don't do it alone. This is different than the kind of reflection that oftentimes I find to be unproductive and unhelpful, both in my own lives and in people that I talk to. There's a kind of unproductive reflection, like some of you are are ruminators and you, you have a lot of like negative rumination that you do in your mind and you start reflecting and all of a sudden it just spins you out and you get like fixated on something. Um, You can engage in judgmental self-talk where you kind of shame yourself and you look at all the things you didn't do or you fall into these unhealthy patterns of nostalgia and long to get back to seasons, forgetting how hard those seasons were. I mean, those are all different ways that we can reflect unproductively and it could actually lead to toxicity and unhealth. What I'm talking about here, though, is the kind of examination and self-reflection that's done in the presence of God in cooperation with the Spirit of God. Right? Notice verse 6, the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. All of this is done with the presence of God, with the Spirit of God. God watches over. And what we want is the kind of self-clarity that leads to transformation and allows us to reflect more redemptively with a hopefulness towards the ways that God, by His Spirit, might be leading us into new areas of growth. And this conviction that we have to have is that God is present with us as we reflect. God is present to us. He's active in our lives, and He wants our flourishing And so it's that that we want to enter into, and it's really that that I want to use the remainder of our time together for, um, is just to help you with some of that guided reflection. So I want you to grab that piece of paper, and we're going to use this spiritual formation tool that has been called the Prayer of Examine. It was developed in the 16th century by Ignatius, who was the founder of the Jesuits. Some of you guys may have gone to Brebeuf, or you know Brebeuf High School, that's a Jesuit high school. Uh, As part of his spiritual exercises, he taught this to his disciples, who then taught it to other disciples. And it's essentially just a way to become more aware of God's presence in our lives, how God is at work in our lives, and how we're responding to God's presence in our lives or not responding and not paying attention to God's loving presence in our lives. And again, the goal is not just navel-gazing self-reflection. It's the kind of self-reflection that leads to transformation, that leads us to abide more deeply in the love of God in our everyday lives. And there's four basic movements. So here's what I want to do. Miles is going to come up, and we're going to just play some music. And I want to lead you through each of these four movements and give you maybe like, you know, two or three minutes. Just again, think of this just kind of like I'm stimulating, I'm starting, I'm teeing you up. But I want to encourage you to like go home and do this work. Do this work with your family. Do this work with uh, your children. Do this work with a roommate, with a spouse, with your missional community, a discipleship group. Take this and then use this as kind of a launch pad for some further reflection. But I want to give you some space here to begin to do this work and just kind of guide you through these basic movements and just kind of get this process kick-started. So the first movement of the prayer of examine is remember, right? Remember. Psalm 143.5 says, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I reflect on the work of your hands. One of the most common words in Scripture is the word remember. One of the, one of the biggest pitfalls when you see God coming after people who have turned away from him is they forget So we need to enter into this time of remembering, right? And again, don't flood yourself, right? Like, you know, like some, you know, don't don't flood yourself, but just ask the Spirit of God to bring to mind some things that you've lived. That's the question I want us to ask right now. What have you lived the last year? What did you live in 2021? What happened to you? What did you experience? 
And then not just what did you experience, but what did you feel about that, right? Like one of Ignatius's kind of core concepts is this idea of consolations and desolations. Consolations, those thoughts and feelings that led me towards God, and then desolations, those thoughts and feelings that led me away from God. So I want you to name your emotions. How did that impact you? Did you feel anxious? Did you feel like you were languishing? Did you feel fearful? Did you feel sad or angry? Like name those emotions. And on the back of that, um, that paper that Sheeta gave you, there's a timeline. On the top of that timeline, you can list things that brought you joy, like good things that God did in your life last year. You want to just mark those, name those. And how did those make you feel? What did you think about those? How did you respond to those? What decisions did you make because of those? And then below the line, in each of those months, there's space for you to, to list some of the painful things that you lived, right? And we need to hold all of that joy and pain before the Lord and allow Him to do a work. And so, what did you live? Just take a few minutes here, and I want you to list out just whatever the Spirit of God might bring to mind that feels most relevant to some of the things that you experienced and how that impacted you this past year. The second movement moves us from remembering to rejoicing. Rejoice is the second one. Paul says in Philippians 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone the Lord is near. Don't worry or don't be anxious about anything. But in everything through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, the shalom of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Take that list of things that you begin to jot down, both above the line and below the line. And I want you to give thanks for the way that God is at work in your life, right? Like not giving thanks for necessarily the bad things themselves, but giving thanks for the fact that God is present to us and God hews out of those bad things his redemptive purposes, right? Paul's in prison writing Philippians, and he says rejoice always. And so it was amazing last week, did this exercise as a family, and we had note cards spread out on the table representing the different months. And we've been feeling that kind of languishing burnout as a family. And it was just amazing to look back over the year and to see all the things, like all the small things we'd forgotten about that God had done that we just were not in the habit of giving thanks for. And so I just want to encourage you to take a moment, turn those into gratitude opportunities. Turn those into thanksgiving. What can you give thanks to God for? And again, not, that, not giving thanks to God for COVID, giving thanks to God for you know, some sort of health challenge, you lost your job, but just giving thanks that God hasn't abandoned you. God is with you. He's present. He's active. He's at work in the midst of those things. And so let's just take a moment to thank God for his presence and the ways that he's using these events in our lives, be they good or challenging for his glory. The third movement is repent. So remember, rejoice, and repent. As we remember, we begin to see areas of our lives that the Holy Spirit uncovers. We begin to remember ways that we've responded to the things that have happened to us without trusting God, maybe railing against God or even blaming God or engaging in destructive habits or harming, hurting people around us in our pain. Acts 3 Peter says, therefore, repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out, that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So part of repentance is confessing, agreeing with God about our sin, owning it, because what we don't own will own us, owning our sin before God and saying, yeah, I did this, I did that. The problem's not everybody else. The major problem is really in here with me, and I need to, I need to confess that before God to find cleansing. 
And then the second piece of that is not just confession. We have to stop at confession. The second piece of that is repair. I need to repair and be reconciled when I, am, when I, when I uncover that sin in my life. Luke, 18, Luke 19, Zacchaeus, who had stolen and robbed from the poor with his work as, a, as his work as, as a Roman tax collector, said this, look to Jesus, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor Lord. And if I have extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay it back four times as much. And Jesus says, today, salvation has come to this house. As we look around at our relationships with other people, what repair needs to be made this year? What reconciliation needs to be pursued? What forgiveness might need to be extended to those around us? Who do we need to commit to walk out of here and to go and to make another attempt to try to restore, to try to repair, to own our, our peace of what we've done to contribute maybe to the breakdown of a relationship. So let's just take a moment. Let's confess our sins to God. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to open up our eyes to see our sin clearly and then to confess it. And then I'll, I'll lead us in a prayer of confession here in just a moment together. Let's say this together <clears throat> from the Book of Common Prayer. This is kind of the daily confession. If you don't have a tool like this, this is a great thing to snap a picture of and use. I use this in the mornings as I get up and just reflect on my day and think about the ways in which I've sinned and, and use this. And so let's say this together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone, we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways. To the glory of your name, amen. The last movement is uh, resolve. So remember, rejoice, repent, and resolve. This is about looking forward, right? And as Paul says, forgetting what's behind, not that we forget it, not that we erase it out of our memory, but we release what's behind, we surrender what's behind, and we look forward and we commit ourselves to what God wants to do now, the newness. God says, behold, I'm making all things new, the newness that God invites us to live in each day as we live under his grace and his mercy. Lamentations 3, in that same passage right before uh, this call to examination, Here's what Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah says to a group of exhausted, tired, burned out exiles. He says this, because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish, for his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will put my hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. Let me just give you four questions to take with you in the interest of time here. Again, you can take a picture, you can write these down. Four questions to take with you as you begin to look forward to 2022. You begin to think about maybe building a rule of life for yourself, right? A rule of life is simply a trellis for our lives on which the, the, the abiding in God's love process can maybe hang on. A rule of life is just putting together some spirit-empowered rhythms and thinking about the relationships that we need to sustain us for the journey of growing in God's love. Maybe you do that personally uh, this year for the first time. We have a community rule of life that we use that has a daily scripture reading plan and fasting uh, weekly and Sabbath practices and uh, scripture reading uh, and prayer. Uh, maybe you use that. Those are available in the lobby to you. But I just want to uh, walk you through these just qu quickly and just have you maybe think about what this might look like in 2022. What spiritual practices do I need to help me abide more deeply 
in Jesus' love, practices like prayer and scripture and fasting and silence and solitude? What practices are going to help me this year really delight in God's love in more meaningful ways? Again, these practices don't change us. It's not about legalism. This is not about formality or whatever. We position ourselves to receive God's love and to receive his grace, and only the Holy Spirit can do the work, but it's kindling that we lay out for the Spirit to use and to run on. Secondly, how might God be inviting me to better care for my whole person this year? Maybe some of us need to get into therapy. It's time. Maybe we've lived so much trauma. We've had so many big and small traumas over the last several years. Maybe we need to, you know, like eat better this year. Maybe we need to think about our physical health. We need to think about our mental health, our emotional health, whatever it might be. Just how God calls me to disciple and steward my body, to steward my heart and my soul, to keep them open and tender to the Lord and to seek renewal in all the ways that God might be inviting me to do that. What relationships, thirdly, do I need to support me in this next season? Different seasons of life require different kinds of relationships. You probably are finding that out the older that you get, right? What worked in your 20s isn't going to get you into your 30s and 40s and 50s. And so some of us, man, we've been surrounded by peers in our 20s, and we have no relationships with anybody over 40. And it's time for us to, like, come up and draw near to some sages and to get some wisdom or input. Or maybe you're older and you need some relationships with some younger people to begin to pour your life out to the next generation. Maybe you need, uh, you know, just like to deepen your friendships and you've got a bunch of superficial relationships, but nobody that you would call a spiritual friend, somebody who's a soul friend, and you need to pursue that this year. Maybe you need a discipleship group for the first time. I don't know what that looks like, but just ask God to show you. And then finally, what gifts and burdens and limitations do you need to pay attention to so that you can bless others in Jesus' name? This is kind of the missional component. How has God gifted you? How is God burdening you right now in this season, even of COVID? What might God be laying on your heart as a ministry for the future? And then what limitations do you need to acknowledge? Some of us have new limitations. We have health issues. We have dying parents. We have all kinds of different things that are happening that put new limitations on us, and we can't do what we did in other seasons. And so we need to pay attention to those and make sure that we're crafting a life with God that takes into account those different seasons that we're in. Whatever, wherever we find ourselves today, I just want to offer up a prayer and, and maybe take this work with you and I want to pray for us. And I just want to encourage you, if this feels overwhelming, you're just like, dude, this is way too much. And I know some of you are like type A, and you're going to take this and do like a five-day retreat and a strategic planning sheet, and you're going to get all crazy with it. Can I just encourage you like to be super simple with it? I, like I want to encourage you pastorally to take one thing. What is one invitation to you from this we've talked about this morning? What is one invitation from this text in Psalm or in Lamentations that if you were to engage, if you were to listen and to respond to this one invitation from God, it might give you some lift this year. It might help you move towards flourishing. It might help you get unstuck. And you might say, well, that's not a lot of progress. Yeah, unstuck's better than stuck, right? Like taking a step in a direction. Don't overwhelm yourself. Don't flood the system. Let's just pay attention and ask God to show us one thing that we can apply this week as we leave this time of examine. Let me pray for us, and then we'll take communion, and we'll sing these last songs, and we'll send you out. Father, we do just want to be captivated by this vision of a flourishing life with you. This is what you promised to your disciples. Not that everything will go well in our lives, but that it will be well with our souls, it will be well with us. If we are in communion with you and we are in relationship with you, we can experience flourishing, even in the midst of pain and difficulty and struggle. And so God, I pray that you would just move us, that you would convict us, that you would use this examined time to help us reflect on our ways that we might return to you, God, that you might do a work of renewal, a fresh work. I pray, God, that your fire would fall 
on us this year and that we would experience just a fresh wave of grace and mercy as we leave this place and as we go back out into the world, God. Open our eyes to the possibilities of what you want for us this year. And may you do more than we ask or imagine or could ever dream. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.